You know, uh, sometimes I think it is difficult for us when we're studying about the kingdom and the kingdom uh, of David because when we are thinking about that uh, and, and we think about the kingdom of God as uh, the church uh, living under his reign and rule today, sometimes it's hard, I think, because we're, we understand that Jesus, when faced with uh, all of the trials he faced, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And for us, sometimes uh, that may be difficult because we're saying, well, wh what's the battle? And we know Jesus wasn't fighting uh, Rome per se uh, and even stopped one of his disciples after he drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And, and so we know that Jesus didn't like go to war like this. And, and so we kind of are struggling, I think, sometimes I am when I think about this and I think in terms of like, who are our enemies? What does it mean to live in exile as this people? Uh, how are we kind of presently supposed to put this together? And I, I just think it's good sometimes to remind us, Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated, but not consummated. What do we mean by that? It means that it has come in. It's already, the kingdom has already uh, come in, but the fullness of that has yet to come. And so, we are living in between those times, between the coming of the kingdom and the fullness of the coming of the kingdom. And that's kind of where we are. We are in a spiritual fight. Uh, the church is like a kingdom outpost in an old, fallen, hostile creation. And so we're living right now presently, you could say, uh, being led by the Spirit in the wilderness. You could say we're living in Babylon uh, but we are awaiting the fullness of the coming of the Lord when uh, the, the, this earth will, the, the kingdom of this earth will become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever here, and everything will be restored. And so in the meantime, though, there is a great battle for us, a struggle for us, and sometimes we may even think, man, the kingdom of God is on shaky ground, and you may think, we seem to be being held by a thread. And it just seems like there's battles on every side. There's battles within the church, battles outside the church. The enemy's trying to, sometimes it feels like, infiltrate the church, which is something you know is going to come. And it's, it is a real battle. And the more spiritually attuned you are, the more you recognize that. And so how do you deal with the fact that you are living in a fallen world, that we are Christ's church, that we have uh, His Spirit, that He is guiding us, that He has not left us in, in some disarray where we're not sure of the hope that we have. What do we do in those places? I mean, what, what are we going to do in that state? The thing we have to stand on is the foundation that God has laid for us throughout His Word, and that is that He reigns supreme over this world. That He is a sovereign King over this world. That He is providentially working out His plans. In, in one, uh, one of the catechisms I, I memorized at some point, it says, what are God's works of providence? They are His holy, wise, and powerful acts by which He governs all His creatures 
and all his, their actions. So God is orchestrating his plan. He is executing it flawlessly. We don't have to sit there in fear wondering, will God sustain these things? Will God accomplish his plan? Will God keep his promises? We don't have to live that way. For us to live that way is to reject what he has revealed in his word. Christ's kingdom is forever. He is Lord of all. We can trust him. And even when everything seems chaotic, we can know that he is watching over all things. God loves to teach us by sometimes allowing us to look at things and think these things are hanging by a thread. But if he is the one, and I think that's something we have to keep in our minds, that holds the thread together, it's not that big a deal. Right? If he is sustaining it, if he is watching over it, even if it appears that way, we have nothing to fear. So, David's kingdom appears to be on the edge of total destruction, but God made a promise to him. And if God made a promise to him, a promise that this kingdom that I'm giving you will last forever, then it will come to pass. So, David, we know, is under God's judgment in the way of a father disciplining his child. He is under the discipline of his father. David did something extremely rebellious. David like turned away from God's ways. And he ended up killing a man and taking his wife. He came under God's judgment. 2 Samuel 12, you can turn there real quick. In verses 10 through 12, Now therefore, the sword shall not depart from your house because of what you've done. In verse 11, at the very end, he shall, there will be a person that your neighbor will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Verse 12, for what you did in secret, I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. That is, what you did in the darkness, I will bring to the light. So he is under God's divine discipline, but at the same time, this kingdom will not be broken. Why? Because God made a promise to David, and he says, your kingdom will last forever. And so I think for us, we need to constantly remind ourselves that whatever we're living through, whatever we face, whatever we watch going on in the world, the relevance to us is this. If God makes a promise to His people, regardless of how frightening it may seem in the moment, He will keep His promise. And that is extremely important. Now, today... Absalom, David's son, is going to ask for wisdom. Again, he's taken the kingdom from his father, it appears, right? So he asked for wisdom from Ahithophel and Hushai. And if you remember, David had prayed, God, turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness because he was really wise. That's what he said in, in chapter 15, verse 31. And he asked God, please, like, don't let that man's wisdom 
be used in this moment. Turn it to foolishness. So what's the big idea today? If I was to say what is the overarching thought, it is this. God's kingdom will never fail. God's kingdom will never fail. We can trust that if He says He's building it, it's going to be built. Now, you might say, what, I mean, can you, can you validate that in some way? I think this passage does that by these four things. Number one, he demonstrates his sovereign hand. That, that's the first thing you see. The second is, in a very shocking way, you see his providence at work. His providence at work where he like turns a situation that looks like it's really bad. The third thing we see is his enemies come to an end. They don't stand forever. Somebody comes against the Lord, like know this, that they will come to an end and he will still be standing there. Or you could say, seated on his throne. Fourth, he has servants that walk in faithfulness to him. He always has, he always will. And you'll see them on display in this text. So let's start with his sovereign hand. We say his kingdom will never fail. Number one, let's look at his sovereign hand over these things. That's the first 14 verses that we just read. So I just want you to see, you come to this place. um, Absalom is like, I've got to go take care of my father. Or somehow we got to deal with my father. He talks with Ahithophel, and what do you see? Ahithophel says, listen, I need 12,000, and let me choose them. I need 12,000 men, and I'm going to arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he's weary and discouraged. Remember, David's out into the wilderness. He had to run really quick. There was no preparation, and so they've kind of been on the run and he's like, let me pursue him at night. While they're trying to like, they've kind of, they're exhausted. They're tired. I want to go after him when he's discouraged. When he, it would be easily like fall into a panic. David's not one of those guys that gets panicked easy. He's a very stable-minded person. He is a warrior. He fights battles. He understands that you're going to face troubles. And so while they're in this place of weakness, let me strike him down. And he says, I'm not just going to strike him down. I mean, I'm not just going to, uh, I'm not going to go in and just start like cutting down the people. I'm going after David. We'll rush in on them. They will all take off running. I'll find David and I will kill David. And when the people come back, it will be like a bride coming to her husband. You don't even have to leave leave Jerusalem, Absalom. I'm going to guide them back. And they're going to have smiles on their faces when they come back with me. And they're like brought into your family. And it's exciting. And there'll be this great party. And David will be gone. And Absalom's sitting there thinking, this sounds like a good idea. Verses 5 through 7. Then Absalom said, I need another opinion. Have you ever had somebody say, I need a second opinion? Give me a second opinion. 
This is like a misstep for him. But he says, call Hushai the archite. Now, remember, this man, this man here, as David's leaving Jerusalem, he comes to him and says, man, I'm going to go with you, David. David says, no, go back in as a spy. And tell Absalom you're with him. And so Hushai is really secretly for David. And so Absalom doesn't know that. And in verse 6, when he comes in, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do what he says? If not, you speak. So basically, they bring him in. They say, this is what Ahithophel says we ought to do. Hushai says, and he says, If you agree, just give me a thumbs up and go back about your business, you know? Verse 7, then Hushai said to Absalom, this time, it's never happened before. But this time, Ahithophel is wrong. Again, he is secretly standing with David, and Absalom is listening to him. He says, he's missed it. Now look at verse 8 and 9. He first uses logic, and this is what he says. Your father and those mighty men with him, they are enraged. I was talking to somebody this week and we were talking about bears. Is it somebody in this room? Uh, Y'all like grizzlies? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, it was a community group. Uh, uh, John and Jamie, we were talking about that and just like facing like one of the frightening things would be like to go into the back country and, and to like, uh, of like, let's say Yellowstone, and to face a, a cubs and a mama, you know, that you're in between them somehow. You know, that would be insane, right? Grizzly cubs and their mama, right? That's kind of... So the idea here is these guys are so fired up, it's like someone has stolen their cubs and they're coming after you. So just think about that. Your father's an expert in war. He's not. He's sitting up there hatching his plan. Like, your dad always hid in caves. Do you not think he's in a cave now? And do you not think he's thinking about it? And do you not think that they're trying to figure out a way? And if you show up right now, he's going to come down on you. Second thing, you'll look at in like 9b through 10. It's kind of a caution because here's what he's saying. If people hear that David has been watching over the situation and as soon as your men show up, David's and his mighty men come and cut them down, the first voice is going to be like, run, run. Do you remember what they said of Saul? He's killed thousands. David's killed tens of thousands. They're going to take off running. Verse 10. Even the valiant men among you that have a heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. Everybody's going to take off running. Third, this is where he gets to, man, this is where he gets, and I think one person noted it as vanity. This is where you say to Absalom, listen, Bubba, Gather up all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. It's saying, gather them as the sand of the sea. Bring together a multitude. 
and let them kind of come together and then you go into battle with them so that you come back not as you come back as the great king who's gathered all the people together and you wipe you wipe them out like I, you don't even you don't leave David or any of his people alive So Absalom, again, would kind of, his vain side would be, you know, he'd be drawn to that. The fourth, vengeance, so we shall come upon him in some place. And what they're saying is like, he's saying, you tear everything down. If he goes to hide in the city, you rip the walls down. You throw it away. You Don't even leave a pebble there. We want to make sure that he knows and everybody knows that you're a man that makes things right. So verse 14, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So you're like, when you're looking at this with earthly eyes, you're like, two men built a case. And one of them won. One of them had a better case. But what you see behind it is what? Behind all of this is the Lord ordaining things. The Lord, He ordained it. It's like when you say, like of Joseph, it says the Lord was with him and he found favor. The Lord ordained that he would find favor wherever Joseph went in Egypt, even in the worst parts of his life. The Lord gave him favor. Here, we're saying the Lord ordained that Absalom would choose the wrong way. The Scripture says of the Lord that he orchestrates the hearts of kings. His plans are executed flawlessly. God works through human characters. The way I would think of it, and I remember hearing it one time, and I think it's helpful. I think it was uh, John Frame that wrote about it, but he, he would talk about God's decree as kind of like the playwriter who is writing out this plan. And, and the actors of the play are acting, but, behind, but God is, he is orchestrating His plan. And so it's like these two separate spears. He's writing out His plan. The actors are accomplishing it within their personalities. When they take someone's life, they desire to do so. But it's all like in the hidden places of God, He is executing His plan Flawlessly. We don't understand all of that. It's two separate spheres. I can see on an earthly realm, but in the heavenly realm, when, when God allows me to see it, I understand that He is exercising His plan flawlessly. And it gives great comfort. Because I know that God is going to preserve His King and His kingdom, and He's going to enact His plans, and nothing's going to thwart that. That's what He's saying. Nothing. So, God's kingdom will never fail. One, because He sovereignly reigns over history. 
number two, it's like you will see, and this is certainly tied to his sovereignty, but his shocking providence where what we're saying is it's not always like this miraculous thing. It's not like lightning bolts. I mean, sometimes it's just like you're thinking, here these men are, and you can see it here. Uh, Hushai immediately goes to the priest and says, you two priests, like, this is what's going to happen. I don't know how or who's, how they're going to respond, but, but I gave my case, and Ahithophel gave his case, so he runs it to the priest. The priest give it to this servant girl. The servant girl runs to take it to uh, these, the priest's boys, and the boys uh, are somehow seen, and so they begin to run, and, and then Absalom sends someone after them, and they happen upon a house uh, where people welcome them in, allow them to, notice what it says here, this woman allows them to go down into the well of the mouth of the, the well's mouth. So they go down into a well. She covers it up in verse 19 and puts grain over it and hides these fugitives of Absalom's false kingdom. And then ultimately, these guys are able to go to David. So what's happening here? What, what's happening? I, I see this as. God is orchestrating all kinds of events. And sometimes, have you ever met somebody that you thought, how did I meet them? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and thought, that conversation was exactly what needed to happen? Right? Why did I get that job? Yeah, why did I meet that person? Why did they call me? Not too long ago, I received an email I read over the email, went through it, thought about it, kind of put it to the side. Six months later, this guy calls me. I'm passing through from here to Dallas. I thought I might stop and have lunch with you. We got to talking. I said, you know, I don't really think, in, I don't think much of like chance. And he said, you know, I don't either. And I said, well, I see it as providence. God brought you into my life. This may be the last hour I spend with you. You know? But God providentially places people in your life. And you may not even know why all the time. You know? Did you know that my mom, and I've told you all this before, but when she was a little girl, there was... Uh, her family moved out to California, I think, for like six years. And as they, they lived out there during the six-year period, there was a family member of my grandfather that said, i got to take those girls and that little boy to church because my grandfather was working seven days a week, 16-hour days. Plus, he wasn't that interested in church anyway. And so she kept, like, taking the kids. Then my grandmother starts going. Then my grandfather eventually goes. And God does this thing of, like, moving them from nowhere, East Texas, out to Orange County, California, rescues them, saves them, brings them back here. 
and generation after generation now walking in the faith. Was that just was that just them making their decisions and doing their own thing and there was no orchestrating of things by the hand of God? I don't think so. He was working out his plan. I remember a man coming to me one time. Actually, I had him at a youth camp. Uh, he was the bus driver. But I was like, one night I was like, just share your testimony. You know, and he's, he was like, he always, he was real, you know, kind of a dramatic person. Was, he was like, I was just running my own way, doing my own thing. And then one day, it was like the Lord like jumped in front of me, arms open wide and said, Robert, you're mine. You're mine. He used means though. He had this guy come knock on his door and say to him, do you know that there is a God who is holy and that you are a wretched sinner and that there is no other hope for you than to put your faith in Christ and to follow Him? Providence. Third thing, so God's kingdom will never fail because His sovereign hand is orchestrating the hearts of people. And His his providence is working things out so that when you're on the run, afraid of the enemy, there's someone there. And they say, get in this well and be quiet. Third, His enemies will come to an end. Verse 23. So, Absalom's like, you know what? I'm going with Hushai's advice to his own demise, right? And in verse 23, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. What was he thinking? I joined the team that wanted to assassinate the true king when David's life is restored and kingdom is fully restored, then my place will be here anyway, I guess. I will come under David's wrath. This situation reminds you of Judas. It reminds you of Haman in the Bible, of different people that turned their backs on the kingdom. They they turned their backs on the kingdom. They walked away... They walked, they, they stared in the face of the king. They saw and they turned away. Their end is oftentimes shown in a stark and graphic way to remind you that rebels not only do not end up happy, but they end up filled with sorrow and they're ruined. God's kingdom will never fail because we see His sovereign hand guiding things. We see His providential working out of things in life. Every moment, 
Every element, every encounter, every step, He is moving and working and accomplishing His plan. Third, His enemies that rise up against Him never win. That's what you would say. They don't win. They are not victorious. They may be wise. And they may be all kinds of things. You may say, good night, the wisdom. But they don't win. Fourth. I think we see His kingdom will never fail because He's always going to have faithful servants that He's going to use to do marvelous things. You see, David goes to this place and, and Absalom is set up the army to come after him in, in really kind of a foolish move where Joab's not the leader of it. But he does that. And you think David and them are in such a bad place. They have nothing, no provisions. And then all of a sudden, likely three wealthy men is what it appears to be. They show up and they bring everything that they would need to provide for them. They, these three, like, in the midst of the desert, they're like the stream, right? I, you probably read that book or read the devotion, Streams in the Desert. That's what I think about with these people. They're out in the desert wilderness, and you think, good night, there's nothing to sustain us, and all of a sudden, these people show up, and cart after cart after cart after cart provides all of the... They can set up house. It provides them with all the things that they need. They've been miles and miles and miles, and now they're provided for. They were hungry, weary, thirsty, and now in the midst of the desert, refreshment comes. Have you ever been traveling? I, have, I mean, I, I, I'm always amazed by this. That whether, I mean, and, and I've been afforded the opportunity to do mission trips, international stuff, where I would go places and think, what is this going to be like? And then I would meet these people, and sometimes the language barrier would keep me from really talking to them as much as I wanted. But even sitting in a worship service, hearing them sing praises to God was like so moving. Or, just to, I remember one time I went to Estes Park, Colorado, and I thought, these people are my family. They were from all over the world at this Bible college, but I thought, I'm at home here. I don't even know if I ever want to leave here. But, I mean, over and over as you, like, step into these places all around the world, there are times where you think, like, I'm all alone, and you walk into that, and you're just like, ugh. A few years ago, you know, again, God granted that I could go to, to Jerusalem and I get there and somehow I met this man that was um, a Christian there. And he was like, you want to come to a church service tonight? So we go up into this small little place and there they are singing like praises to the Lord. Just like these God orchestrating things and showing us that he has faithful servants all over 
It's a beautiful and a powerful thing. God's kingdom will never fail because His sovereign hand is upholding it. Because His shocking providence is orchestrating it. Because His enemies will come to an end and because His servants will faithfully serve Him. There is no greater picture in all things than to see that Jesus was delivered over by the predetermined plan of the Father. That every act, every move, every rebellious act, every step, that He was guided to lead Him to that place. And when Jesus died on the cross, He lived this life that we could not live. He died the death we deserved. And He was resurrected. We know that all of our enemies were defeated. And now He is raising up a people, servants. And we see that they're being raised up from every tribe and tongue and nation. God's kingdom will never fail. And we can have hope in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask for just the wisdom to see, to savor the great privileges we have of being a part of a kingdom that will have no end. May we respond to that with deeper faith, with greater hearts of faithfulness, the desire to steward the great blessing that we've been given. In Christ's name, amen.